good morning. So good to see you guys and be with you today. And welcome. If you're new, my name is Ricky Powell. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline. And we are so happy to have you with us. And a little bit of uh, housekeeping before we get into the message today. Our church is a pastor-led church, but we're also uh, a congregationally approved church. That means every major decision that we make is approved by the congregation. One of those things is we have a business meeting coming up the last Sunday night of October the 26th, and we'll be voting on our new church budget for 2021. And so those budgets are available for you when you leave today. Uh, there's a little table back there. I think they're available for you to pick up. If you want to just call the office, we'll email you one of those if you'd rather do it that way. But uh, we need you here that Sunday night. We're going to have Lord's Supper, and we'll have our business meeting, and we'll take care of uh, discussing that budget and then voting on it the following Sunday morning uh, in all of our services so today we're going to continue in our series called A Better Way to Live. You know, I've noticed that many people want to know God's will for their life. They want to know God's plan for their life. There's also this erroneous theology that is sometimes called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel basically says it is God's plan that everyone be rich. And these prosperity preachers often preach and teach that it's God's will that you be rich and the way for you to become rich is to send me, the preacher, a little more money. It's interesting how that works. Those free Lear jets uh, are, are expensive and uh, we, we got to have that in the mansion. And so if you want to be rich, you need to help me get rich. So just send me a little more money. Now, that's not the theology of our church. Now, if you want to send me money, uh, that's between you and God. But, but is it God's will? that every person be rich. In fact, one of those preachers I remember many years ago went to prison because he had taken advantage of the people uh, in his audience and in his church. The last time I saw him, he was out of prison, but he was selling uh, some liquid that would cure the coronavirus. You know, taking advantage of people. And, and that really grates my nerves when people take advantage of other people. I can tell you this, while it's not God's will that every person be rich, it is God's plan that every person be righteous. Now you need to mark that down because so often we focus our lives and our, our energy and our passion on the wrong things. It's not God's plan that every person be rich any more than it's God's plan that every person be American and white and blonde-haired and blue-eyed and tall and handsome, but enough about me. Uh, it's, not God's, it's not God's plan that every person be rich, but it is God's plan that every person be righteous. And righteousness means that I treat you right, that I don't take advantage of you, that I don't use you for my own selfish gain. Or ambition. And sometimes we take advantage of other people because we want more money. We want possessions. Other times we take advantage of people because we want more power or position. Or we're looking for prestige. Or we're just out for our own pleasure. That's why people sexually abuse and harass people under their employer, under their authority. It is why some people cheat on their taxes while other people are paying their fair share for the services of our government. It is why some people will shade the truth to make themselves look better and to make the other person look as bad as possible. 
This selfish ambition is why so often I won't choose to stand up for the rights of another person or the rights of another group of people because if I do, it may make the other political party that I don't like look good. I'm not going to join them. It's why we neglect our relationship with our kids in these formative years and rather we focus on our career and our job to get the next promotion and to get the next raise. And we're taking advantage of the people in our lives when we do those things for our own selfish reasons. And yet, even though it's not God's plan that every person be rich, it is God's plan every person be righteous. And I want you to see that not just from what I'm telling you. I want you to see it from God's Word because this is the wisdom that is revealed to us through Scripture. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's putting wisdom in pithy, simple statements that we can all grasp and understand. And today I want you to read Proverbs 16, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. And in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8, this is what we read. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The writer of Proverbs is not saying that all ambition is wrong. He's not saying you shouldn't work hard and plan and save and try to do better tomorrow than you did today. What he is saying, though, is if you have to choose between being rich with injustice or living with Meager means with your righteousness. Choose righteousness every day. That's more valuable. That's far more important than anything money can buy in this life. To have a clear conscience, to have a good reputation, to be a person of righteousness who treats other people right. Because nobody wants to be mistreated. In fact, I don't like to be mistreated. When, when someone mistreats me, it's wrong. But when I mistreat someone else, I've got reasons. When someone mistreats me, it's a sin. But when I mistreat someone, take advantage of someone, I've got circumstances that you just don't understand. You see, we all know instinctively that no one wants to be taken advantage of. Everyone wants to be treated righteously. And we ought to love other people like we love ourselves. And we ought to do for them what we want other people to do for us. If I want to be treated right, I need to treat other people right. And the, the opposite of treating people right is to live in a world where it's what some would say, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Where everybody is just after their own self-interest. Where other people are viewed as something to be used for my gain, for my benefit, for my pleasure, for my power, for my prestige. And that's not the kind of world I want to live in. In fact, many of the problems in our world today can be traced back to selfish ambition where people are taking advantage of other people rather than living righteously, even if it costs. Even if I may not get that promotion, even if I don't get the popularity of someone else, even if I don't fulfill my fleshly desires. Living righteously may not pay off in the immediate, but it will pay off in the ultimate. There has to be a better way than a world filled with people living selfishly and unrighteously. And there is. In fact, Jesus gives us, he enables us to know what is right and to do what is right. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, if you still have your Bible open or, or your, your phone or your tablet open, I want you to go to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we see an event in the life of Jesus that illustrates the power of Jesus to help you to know what is right and to do what is right. That Jesus comes into our lives to show us a better way to live than the way that this world offers. And in Luke chapter 19, it's the story that you may have learned as a little kid in Sunday school. It's the story of Zacchaeus, a wee little man. And in the story of Zacchaeus, we see Jesus' power to help you know what is right and to do what is right. And, and as followers of Jesus, this is the difference that he makes in our lives. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that, that none of us are perfect. None of us have ever gotten this perfect. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he helps you to know what is right, and he gives you power to do what is right, and he changes you, and he changes relationships, and our world would be a far better place if more of us followed Jesus and followed his example. So maybe today, maybe today you might put your confidence and your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, uh, we're, we're kind of coming into the life of Jesus in that last year. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die for us on the cross. But it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, he, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. He's just on his way through Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem to die for sinners. But he wasn't in Jericho by accident. He was in Jericho because he had a divine appointment with someone of that city. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. We're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. His name is probably an abbreviated form of Zechariah, which means righteous one. That's what his name meant. The only problem was he wasn't living up to his name. He wasn't living up to his reputation as a righteous one. He was a tax collector, and he was rich. Now, that may not mean much to us today in our modern culture, but in that day, put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of a first century Jew. Your nation has been conquered by Rome, the world's greatest superpower. And you are now living in occupied territory and Rome has set up a system of taxes and levies that you have to pay at every major transaction of your life. You want to use this road, you're going to have to pay a toll. You're bringing in goods, you need to pay a tax. You're buying something, you need to pay a tax. And much of that money goes back to Rome. And Rome would set up a system where they would take Jews and employ them in collecting the taxes from their fellow Jews. That's who Zacchaeus is. He's a Jew working for Rome, collecting taxes from his fellow citizens. And the problem was Rome farmed out the tax collecting system by putting people over an area and saying, we expect this much revenue to be generated from your area. How you get it, we don't care. 
As long as the coffers of Rome are supplied with the proper amount of taxes, that's all we care about. And here's your salary. Whatever you as a tax collector collect over and above the quota, you get to pocket. You get to keep. And that system lent itself to great dishonesty where tax collectors cheated people out of their hard-earned money. People who by and far were poor people. And they resented being used and abused and taken advantage of by Rome and by tax collectors. So they considered Zacchaeus to be an outcast of society. He would be barred from going to the temple in Jerusalem to worship because he was spiritually unclean with his close contact with Gentiles and his unscrupulous business manners. And so here we find Zacchaeus taking advantage of people and getting rich as a result of it. But little does this grasping sinner know He's about to meet someone who's going to change the way he views life, the way he views himself, the way he views other people. He's about to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus had heard that Jesus was coming through town and he wanted to meet him or at least see him or at least hear him. Perhaps he could hear one of those famous sermons of Jesus. Maybe if he got lucky enough, he could see Jesus perform one of those miracles that he had heard about. A miracle maybe of healing a sick person or raising a dead person or feeding people by the thousands with the little boy's lunch. He had heard all of these stories and he wanted to meet Jesus or at least see him. And so he runs ahead. Look at verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but there was a crowd of people who wanted to see Jesus as well. Jesus' popularity was at its pinnacle, and people had thronged the streets of Jericho to see Jesus. And because Zacchaeus was shorter, he couldn't see over the crowd. He's frustrated in his attempts To see Jesus. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus comes up with an ingenious plan. He decides instead of fighting the crowd, he will get ahead of the crowd. So he runs ahead of the crowd. He positions himself up in a tree so that he can see. And he knows any moment Jesus is coming this way. And he's in that tree so that he can see. He wants to see Jesus. But little did he know this was all a divine appointment because not only was it going to make it possible for Zacchaeus to see Jesus, it made it possible for Jesus to see Zacchaeus. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What an amazing turn of events. The gospel writer Luke is wanting you to see the elements of a divine appointment. That little did Zacchaeus know it, but God had a plan for Zacchaeus's life, and that plan included him meeting Jesus who would change his life. The divine appointment was that Zacchaeus was in the right place at the right time 
to see Jesus. And then Jesus sees Zacchaeus and stops and calls him by name. Zacchaeus. How does he know his name? Because Jesus is God in flesh. Get down out of that tree. Hurry up. Come down. For I, and here's a word that Luke uses, I must, Jesus says, stay at your house today. I must. It's a necessity. I have an appointment at your house with you today. That's why I'm here. And there again, all through the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the word day is used often by Luke to define the day of salvation in someone's life, the day of grace in someone's life. And here Jesus says again, I must stay at your house today. This is a good day for you, Zacchaeus. It had been years, perhaps, since anyone from polite society, especially anyone from religious society, had treated Zacchaeus with respect had crossed the threshold of his door. And here the Son of God is saying, it's time for me to come and stay with you at your house. So how does Zacchaeus respond? Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed with joy that he got more than he bargained for. He doesn't just get to see Jesus and to hear him from a distance, he gets to host him in his own home. But while he's excited and Jesus is excited, the crowds are not. Verse 7, and when they saw it, the crowds, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. People were scandalized. I can't believe Jesus came to our town and went to that guy's house. He is a notorious sinner. Everybody knows he cheats people. He defrauds people. What does that say about Jesus if he's going to hang out with somebody like that? The same crowd that was so excited a few moments ago is now appalled at Jesus because they don't understand Jesus, that Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. But Zach realized it. Zach is excited. And he has a great party for Jesus in his home. And somewhere in this conversation, either in that moment at the tree or down on the street or on the way to the home, Zacchaeus realizes he needs Jesus. And he turns from his sin and he puts his confidence in Jesus as his Savior. You say, how do you know that? Because you see it in a changed life. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zach confessed to Jesus his resolve to make amends for the wrong he had done. He says, Jesus, I want you to see what I'm doing. Because of you and your grace to me, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. I've spent my life defrauding the poor and I've gotten rich doing it. But no more. No more. I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And when I find someone that I've defrauded, I'll repay them four times. I'm going to repay them 400% what I took from them. 
Now, as a good Jew, Zacchaeus knew that the Old Testament law of Moses said you had to pay back someone 120%. And Zach says, no, I'm going to pay them back 400%. It's an amazing transformation in the heart and the life of Zacchaeus. And Jesus Jesus sees it and Jesus acknowledges this change in Zacchaeus. And he says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, you're not saved because of the good things you're doing. You're doing the good things because you're saved. You put your confidence in me and I have given you the power to know what is right and wrong and to do what is right. And because I've saved you from your sin... It's changed your life, and you truly are a child of Abraham. A true child of Abraham, not just one who is a physical descendant, who himself is a physical or national Jew. You're a child of Abraham because like Abraham had faith, you have faith. And Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's all we know about Zacchaeus. But I can only imagine in my mind's eye that from that day forward, Zacchaeus set his mind to not just knowing what was right, but to doing what was right. Imagine him giving away half of everything he owned, giving away half of what was in his bank account to poor people. Imagine him liquidating his estate, liquidating his furniture, because he had to make amends 400% to every person he could go back and find that he had done wrong. Before it was all said and done, Zacchaeus, who was rich when we first met him, has now taken his place alongside the poor. But don't, don't feel sorry for Zacchaeus. Just imagine him walking down those same streets of Jericho one day. It's been a long day, a hard day's work for just a simple Honest day's wage. Not much, but he was happy to have it. It was honest money earned. He walks past that furniture store and sees his fancy furniture now on sale in the shop window. But he whistles on his way home. And as he gets home, he walks past the former mansion that he used to live in. And now he goes on to that other side of town where he has just a modest cottage Just a poor man's house. He throws open the door of his home. He walks into a simple table and chair, a simple bed, simple furniture and fixtures. And he sits down to eat his meal for the evening. No longer does he have servants working for him, providing him a sumptuous dinner. No, no. It's just a simple bowl of vegetables. But he's a happy man. And if you could ask him in that moment, as he sat in that little cottage, poor, say, how do you feel now? I mean, you, you used to have it all. I guarantee you, Zacchaeus would turn to you and say, oh, better is a little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice. And that is a lesson that we need to learn There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But not if it means we take advantage of other people to get it. It is better to have a little with righteousness than to have a lot with injustice. 
And our world needs to come back to Jesus and hear his promise that he can change your life. He can help you to know what is right and to do what is right. And he teaches us that to know what is right is that you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And not only does he help you to know what's right, he then by his own presence in your life gives you the power to do what is right. God, I'm going to live differently because Jesus, your son, my savior, is in my life. God, I want to love you and I want to love other people. I want to do right by you. I want to do right by other people. And if we would get up every morning and we would say, God, help me today to know what is right and give me the power to do what is right this day, it would change the focus of our lives. It would change the relationships of our lives. It would change the way we interact with other people. It would not lessen our ambition. It would change our ambition. Our ambition now is not just to get rich or just to get ahead or just to get some benefit. No, our ambition now is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trust Him to take care of all the other details. That's what Jesus would say to us. And Zacchaeus would say, it is better to have a little, but to have a righteous life, a clear conscience, healthy relationships and a right relationship with God and have few of the things of this world than to have a great deal of the things of this world with no righteousness. He says that's the right stuff. The right stuff is a right relationship with God, a real relationship with Jesus, righteous relationships with other people. That's the right stuff. Here's the application, I think, that might help us this week to apply what we've learned from Jesus and Zacchaeus and Solomon from the book of Proverbs. And that is every morning when you get up to pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me to know what's right and to do what's right, no matter the cost. If we will pray that simple prayer for the next week, I think it would change the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, and the decisions that we make in life. Lord, help me to know what is right and to do what is right, no matter the cost. I want to do the right thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you so much for your word that shows us a better way to live than the way of the world and honestly the way of my flesh at times, my selfish ambition at times. A better way to live by focusing on you and letting Jesus change us from the inside out. And so God, today we begin, we begin this prayer today. Lord, help us to know what is right and to do what is right, no matter the cost. God, what is right in this relationship I'm in? What is the right thing to do with my finances? What is the right way to handle this situation at work? What is the right way to view my politics? What is the right way to interact with other people who are different than me? God, help me to know what is right and help me to do what is right. Knowing is one thing, doing is another. And I need your strength to not only know it, but to do it. Help me 
to do what is right no matter the cost. And we will praise you, God, for the difference you make in our lives by making us more like Jesus. In fact, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today for the first time in your life you want to receive Christ as your Savior, trust him right now by faith. Maybe you'll talk to him where you, where you are, in this room or watching online. Maybe you'll, you'll say, dear God, thank you for loving me. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've not always loved you and I've not always loved other people like I should, but I thank you for loving me and proving it by sending Jesus, your son, to die for me on the cross. And he offered up his righteous life in place of my sinful life. And he took my punishment on the cross of Calvary. And I believe he rose from the dead. So because of that, I turn from my sin and I confess my faith in him, Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. And I receive him by faith into my life. Dear friend, if you've prayed that prayer and you meet it in your heart, welcome to the family of God. The Bible promises in Romans chapter 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Heaven is rejoicing. I rejoice with you. In fact, let me know today. Uh, use the Let's Connect card or send us an email or give us a call that today you've committed your life to Christ so that we can rejoice with you. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives in this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Our ushers will dismiss you from the back moving forward. But thank you for being here this morning. Tell someone good morning. Okay.